This episode of Space Q is brought to you by Mission Control Space Services. Mission Control is a Canadian space exploration and robotics company with a focus on spacecraft operations, onboard autonomy, and artificial intelligence. Mission Control helps customers operate robotic assets in remote and harsh environments and helps them increase the safety, efficiency, and scientific return of their missions. Mission Control is also committed to inspiring the next generation of explorers and continues to expose students of all ages to their unique Mission Control Academy Immersion Planetary Rover Exploration Experience. Founded in 2015, Mission Control's unique, diverse, and inclusive approach brings innovation and a new way of thinking to solving problems in space and on Earth. How can they help you navigate the new space landscape? For more information, visit www.missioncontrolspaceservices.com. Five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Falcon 9 clear to the towers. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. This is a Space Q podcast. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with the Space Q website. I encourage you to visit our website at spaceq.ca to check out the latest news and original stories written by myself and our other writers. We cover the space sector in Canada, along with select international stories, including New Space. For more coverage of the global space sector and the U.S., please visit our affiliate sites, spaceref.com, nasawatch.com, and astrobiology.com. If you like what we do, then please support us on Patreon. Our Patreon address is patreon.com slash spaceq. We need your support to keep producing this podcast and writing original, impactful stories. My guest this week is Mike Greenlee, the new group president of MDA in Canada, one of four units of Maxar Technologies. The other business units are SSL, Digital Globe, and Radiant Solutions. Greenlee assumed his new role on January 15th of this year. He is an industry veteran, having worked 22 years at companies such as Greenlee & Associates, his own company, CAE, General Dynamics, and most recently, L3 Technologies in Burlington, Ontario, where he was the sector president. Welcome, Mike, to the Space Q podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been three months since you've started at MDA. What's been the biggest adjustment from moving over from L3? Um, I think just uh, the normal process of coming into a new company and, uh, you know, uh, meeting everybody. Um, I was very familiar with MDA, um, you know, growing up in the uh, Canadian aerospace and defense sector for 30 years. Um, but, of course, you have to uh, come into a new business and meet all the players. And, uh, and then now that MDA is part of the larger Maxar, uh, meeting all the players there. Um, so it's really just been the, the normal process of coming into a company new and becoming familiar with, with everybody and, you know, the details of the business as opposed to the generalities, which you would know from the outside. So 
previous presidents have been based in Vancouver. You're based out of Brampton or the Brampton, Ontario location. Was this because you were previously based in Burlington, Ontario, or was it a decision made by MDA uh, to have the senior management move over so they would be more centrally located? Um, that was my decision. Um, so when I interviewed for the position and uh, was offered the position, um, it was really up to me to decide, you know, what I want to, uh, you know, work out of different sites. Um, the three major sites of MDA are, are the Vancouver or Richmond site, the Brampton, Ontario site, or the Montreal, Quebec site. Um, with two smaller sites in Ottawa and Halifax. Um, I felt it was best to work out of Toronto um, just because of central location in Canada. It allows me to get up in the morning and uh, you know go to Vancouver or Ottawa or Montreal or Halifax and come back within the next day or two. And then there's certainly lots of international travel um, in this job for me um, in both directions from Canada. Um, so it's just a good central location to work from. And then as part of the effort to, uh, in my view, raise the profile of MDA in the business community in Canada, um, I felt it was a, a good opportunity to do that uh, more from the Toronto-based location. Now, I'm, I'm guessing here that you were based somewhere near Burlington previously. So do you have to do the, the commute every day now, a longer commute? Yeah, yes, a longer commute, absolutely. So my previous job, I was a sector president at L3 out of the West Cam business in Burlington. So I had a uh, a four minute drive to work. Oh. Um, I must I must now drive uh, ten times longer to get to work <laughs> <laughs> and, and spend forty minutes on the road. But that's perfectly fine. Um, I, I I also tend to travel around a lot. I don't tend to. Uh, you know, sit in my office and operate every day. So I, I will go to the various sites. So I do keep an office in Richmond and I uh, have a place to work in Montreal as well. Um, so I, uh, you know, show up in those sites a, a fair bit. Um, so far, I've gotten a fair amount of feedback, uh, positive feedback from the staff. And then I am showing up in the various sites across Canada frequently, which uh, which I like to do. And it seems like people people like that. So that's good. I can see how that would be uh, good for the organization. So um, with um, you working out of Brampton, senior management uh, being more centrally located, a few years back, uh, MDA had actually taken its sort of headquarters management staff and put them into downtown Vancouver. Will that uh, corporate office close now or will it still have a place? Uh, that corporate Vancouver office will uh, gradually fade away with the uh, transition of the, we'll call it the corporate office at the CEO level, um, as that's transitioned um, from the Vancouver days, you know, then down into San Francisco, uh, where uh, Howard Lance, our new CEO, has worked out over the last couple of years. It was recently announced within the last month or so that that San Francisco head office is actually going to move to Denver, Colorado. And so in Westminster, uh, in the Denver area, that is now where the um, you know the corporate head office of Maxar will be. Um, so that's that's where all that uh, activity will now congregate. That sort of leads into my next question, which was: so with Maxar moving headquarters from San Francisco to Westminster, was that because Digital Globe was there, or is it also in part because Digital Globe is there and it's also centrally located in the U.S. Yeah, there was a number of things there. Like, I know they studied multiple locations, um, for sure, when they did that. Um, I think in the end, um, you know, a, a number of things clicked. Certainly with Digital Globe having a very large presence in Westminster that, that did have a, you know, geographical footprint. There was a large building to, to, to start the work from. Um, in addition, it is a bit of a space community. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, a logical fit to fit into that community in Colorado. Um, 
and then the uh, Colorado state level folks um, really worked well with the company in terms of, uh, you know, kind of creating a, a business environment that was attractive to to expand into the uh, into the Colorado market. So there was, you know, some incentives and collaboration with the state level government there as part of it as well. So you just answered my next question, <laughs> and I was actually going to coach it a little bit with, you know, were they approaching you uh, the way they were approaching Amazon? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're quite as popular as Amazon. But uh, it was certainly, um, you know, we were very, very welcome um, in terms of the moving the head office into, into Colorado. Um, obviously, we're known well because of the digital globe presence there. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was some solid attraction. So wanting to to move that economic activity to Colorado for sure. Yeah, and Colorado has a very strong uh, um, space and defense sector, and also uh, next week is the space symposium based out of. Uh, Colorado Springs, which is uh, probably the second largest conference of its kind in the U.S., uh, so just down the road. Absolutely. That's it. That is where I will spend my week. All right. So um, your background is strong on the defense sector. So was your hiring a reflection of a change at MDA to focus more on the defense sector in Canada? Um, I don't think that would be – I wouldn't call it a change. So I think – um, you know, in my experience in defense, um, you know, that's obviously an experience in large, you know, government-based program procurement. In addition, my particular experience in defense has included a lot of international development. Uh, for six years, I was the vice president of international for General Dynamics Mission Systems. And then in my last job as sector president at L3, the Westcam business, you know, is a very international products-oriented sales business in 77 countries around the world. Um, so in terms of uh, bringing in a, a group president of MDA that had a lot of experience uh, doing government procurement in Canada, um, but that had experience spinning products um, out of systems program bases and selling products around the world internationally, and then who had the experience doing international growth and development, uh, those three things combined were the reasons that I was told why um, they really wanted me to come to MDA. Um, I think that my background in defense, um, the MDA has always had a, a history in defense, and it's always been part of the business, or certainly for a long while. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's it's welcome that there is also somebody in the business now that understands defense and can um, help find additional growth for the defense side in addition to space. Uh, but that wasn't the driving reason. That, that that was just a, you know, a good fit basically. Okay. So MDA obviously has been going through some major changes the last few years. The U.S. Yep. Uh, action plan, the acquisition of uh, Digital Globe, the creation of, of Maxar. What's the, the vision to turn uh, MDA into a more profitable unit within Maxar? Um, well, certainly MDA itself is a very strong performing financial unit. Um, within Maxar, um, so it, it it does well um, in terms of both top line and bottom line or profitable performance. Um, there are opportunities, however, um, within the Maxar business plan to um, continue to improve um, profitability and return to shareholders. Um, there'd be two parts to that. One would be top line growth. So um, MDA has a very strong resume. Uh, and capability portfolio that there are solid opportunities in Canada and solid opportunities for international growth. But also the four Maxar companies are really starting to work a lot more together. Um, When you start to combine, for example, um, you know, SSL's ability to build a satellite, um, 
MDA's ability to do the ground stations, um, Digital Globe's ability to turn that into an operational system and deliver deliver a mission capability to a customer. You know, when we all start to work together, um, you know, we can create some very unique offerings for um, you know large national customers, which you know, in combination, delivers more top line growth. Um, and then there are in our business model, each of these four businesses are autonomous business units responsible for their customers and uh, profit and loss performance of the four businesses. Uh, but we do work together um, in terms of, you know, creating a, a common operational core whereby we can find efficiencies in things like, uh, you know, information technology, financial management, human resources, marketing. Um, you know, we can sh- share some common capabilities there in, the, in what some people would call the back office. So um, that also improves, you know, business performance as a result of, of that sharing. So there's good opportunities for growth, which delivers more profitability, and then there's good opportunity for savings and efficiency in operations, which also delivers there is improved profitability. So we're, we're working on both those vectors. I just want to talk about those efficiencies because there was something that I was reading in preparation for this that sort of caught my eye. And I'm saying, just trying to figure out where the mistake was. Okay. At the, uh, at the end of 2017, the Canadian operations had approximately a, a approximately 2,100 employees, according to the U.S. Securities Exchange Form 40F that was issued for the, the shareholders meeting. However, uh, right. the, the press release issued about your hiring on January yep. the 3rd stated that MDA had 1,900 employees. So which is the right, the right number? And as a result of the merger, were there any reductions uh, in staff? Yeah, so not really. So I'm not aware of any major reductions in staff since the merger. And certainly when I come in and in any, you know, sort of monthly reports of human resources and headcount in the business, I would offer that the, the 1900 number is the right number. Um, you know, there may have been additional numbers of personnel that were you know, counting on the previous headcount, maybe as a result of, you know, some of the elements of that corporate head office. I don't know if it, it certainly wouldn't have been, you know, a 200 person difference. So, um, you know, I really, yeah. So I don't have an answer for that, to be honest. Um, but, but, but there has, there's no story that I'm aware of, uh, certainly nothing I've been involved in, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, reductions as a result of the merger. The, the um, you know, the Canadian businesses, the Canadian businesses, we've known MDA and it continues to operate and deliver on its programs. Um, it has, you know, turnover and in, in churn of employees like any 2,000 person business would. Um, but, um, but you know, otherwise we continue to operate and yeah, it look, just, for our, look, look for our new programs to grow. Yeah. yeah, it just jumped out at me that there was a 200 yeah. employee difference between what was in the form that just came out and yeah. what was in the press release. And, of course, the uh, the U.S. Securities Exchange form actually came out afterwards, so there would actually be a, a net increase of 200. <laughs> Did you hire yeah, 200 yeah, so, people? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have not <laughs> since I've joined, so that would be something for me to dig into. So that's a, that's a good <laughs> heads up, so I'll have to go and make sure I get my facts straight on that one. Um, all right, so let's talk about the pipeline. Tell me a little sure. bit about what the Canadian pipeline looks like and, and where where's the growth in that area. Yeah, so the in in Canada in particular, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to look at programs in space and then programs in defense. Um, activities that would be, in, you know, closest, I guess. We you know we, we've announced this year a couple of new wins on the UAV front, or the unmanned aerial systems front. So that's been a that's been a positive uptick. There are a few more of those coming. Um, 
that uh, because of our experience in unmarried aerial systems, you know, I would expect us to be, you know, curious about and be nosing around as it relates to, to naval unmanned aerial systems. And then, the, you know, the eventual justice or our past program, which has, you know, been on, on the books for years, is, is always of interest to us because of our past experience there. Um, moving into the Navy, we've got a strong history in naval, in naval systems. Um, we just won the uh, the uh, NATO Triton program, so that's just starting up in the last month or two, um, which is to deliver a uh, you know command and control maritime operational picture uh, for for the NATO command centers, and then that'll be on offer to any NATO nation that would want to pick it up for its navy. So that's a very exciting uh, development that's occurred in the last quarter, and uh, and is uh, you know it's just exciting to be able to have a, a NATO program and to have a NATO program win from Canada, which is which is really cool. Um, the Navy stuff will continue through the Canadian surface combatant. Um, we have a number of offers that are into the various teams for the, uh, the CSC program. Those bids have all been submitted, as people generally know, and are, you know, going through their process of evaluation in 2018 with the, the communicated intent of the government to kind of announce a winner at some point throughout 2018. So that would give us opportunities in, in uh, naval sensors and uh, systems integration um, to be able to support those programs on the defense side. Um, you know, and we'll keep tracking, you know, defense programs of, of that nature, you know, the sort of command and control and uh, communication surveillance side of things. In the space side of defense, in the new, you know, defense strategy, um, space is a highly funded area with the movement in the last year of uh, the space DG space uh, unit in the military from the, the Joint Operations Command into the Air Force that, that really starts to formalize space as a trade in the Canadian forces. And uh, so there's a lot of activity there in force generation and building up a professional trade to, to work in space like you would work in fighters or transport or what have you. Now there's a, you know, a space line of business in the Air Force. So that'll grow a fair bit over the next few years. And then there's, you know, solid programs that people talk about uh, over the next seven years um, that would matter to us. Um, we delivered the, uh, you know, space surveillance sensors to D&D in the past. Um, so those those types of sensors would come around for their uh, upgrade for the surveillance of space. Um, there's discussion of an enhanced surveillance, for, enhanced surveillance from space project, um, which would be which would be important to us. Um, discussions of an enhanced satellite communications program, uh, polar for the north, um, to give narrow band and wide band communications in the Arctic, which is very key for Canada for defense operations and Arctic sovereignty. So. Uh, we have a you know an angle on approaching that program with partners, so we, we're interested in pursuing that. Um, and so that's that's all important stuff on the defense side. Um, in the more civilian side or space agency side, um, you know we continue to look for space exploration programs beyond low Earth orbit. So it, it looks like the international community is getting organized around space exploration uh, towards a, a deep space gateway near the moon. Um, so that's looking at, you know, missions on the lunar surface or missions further out towards Mars. Um, 
you know, there is an expectation, I think, in the international community because of Canada being on robotics on space shuttle and then on space station that, uh, you know, Canada would, would hopefully show up as part of Deep Space Gateway to continue that, that legacy and that position. Um, none of those decisions have been made yet, um, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, this is this is the time we're coming into the period of time when those decisions need to be made. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, hopefully Canada continues to do that. We would want to continue that that journey that we've been on for almost 40 years now. Um, you know, with Canada in a leading position there. There's a number of planetary exploration missions um, from NASA, uh, European Space Agency, Japanese Space Agency, um, going out to Mars, going to asteroids um, to do various missions. Um, some of those are supported by the Canadian Space Agency. Some of those are just the other international agencies directly. Um, and so that's a combination of domestic opportunity slash international opportunity um, as it relates to space exploration. And then there's the the whole world of low Earth orbit and uh, the commercialization, you know, of it. Um, so um, the, the, that brings commercial opportunities to be involved in um, in low Earth orbit telecommunications, in addition to the space agencies like you know Canada and CSA supporting various projects around um, you know new commercial activity in in low Earth orbit. That was a Pretty good list off the top of my head. That's a great what, list off the think, top of your head. You think anything? I don't know what I missed, but but those I, are the I think ones you, that you, you covered all of my head anyway. You, you covered. You, you, I think you covered everything, and, and we'll talk a little bit, little bits about it in, in just a minute. Uh, sure. According to the uh, shareholder presentation that I saw, uh, everything you just described was uh, basically was like a three billion dollar uh, pipeline over you know, ranging from seven to 15 years, depending on uh, the program. Um, yeah. In terms of um, R&D investment, uh, I was yep. reading that Maxar itself, this being the, the, the larger company uh, uh, as a whole, was going to spend 11.4% on R&D in 2018 from both customer and, and Maxar funds. Uh, yep. Can you tell me, if you can, approximately what percentage of that will be spent by MDA in Canada and what areas uh, you're trying to innovate in with that? Yeah, so I don't have the percentage number off the top of my head. I can certainly get it and provide that to you later. Um, the We have the same pattern, though, which is a combination of just purely uh, you know, internal R&D projects that we're funding our, for ourselves and for opportunities that we're trying to develop in the market, in addition to the, you know, the co-funded type of R&D activities um, that we would do with things like the Canadian Space Agency um, in their technology development programs or with, uh, with DRDC on the defense side. And we do have a, a number of those. Um, I've worked for a few defense companies in Canada in the last decade, and, and I would say that MDA is uh, probably the the richest environment that I've seen in terms of the the numbers of collaborative R and D projects with their customers that are going on. Um, in in terms of the areas of investment, um, each of our business lines does have um, you know a very solid R and D going on. Um, in the Earth observation business, um, there is activity around. Um, you know, different sensors in terms of things like, uh, you know, radar or uh, people working on hyperspectral thinking and that sort of thing. Uh, on the ground station side, um, we would be investing money in continuing to productize our ground stations uh, to advance them, uh, looking at artificial intelligence and the like to transition from 
geosynchronous orbit uh, based ground stations to um, you know much denser constellations of low earth orbit um, uh, constellations and the, the ground station um, and ground station management type activities you need as a result of that um, in robotics we're investing in uh, what I would call, I guess, product sizing robotics a bit more. So, you know, our history has been in these large government programs uh, to do, you know, big space robotics activities or robotics on various exploration vehicles uh, going out to, um, you know, asteroids or Mars, where have you. Um, increasingly, there's an opportunity for more commercial robotics for us. So we've invested in uh, the uh, spinoff of robotics from space into the um, terrestrial applications, primarily in medical and uh, automated manufacturing. And then we're starting to productize the space robotics themselves into um, customizable kits so that we've, you know, got a robotics kit available because we're seeing that the especially with on-orbit servicing businesses, there's a number of commercial entities that want to build spacecraft that can go up and do on-orbit servicing, and they need a solid robotics kit that includes a ground control station, the robotics arm on their spacecraft, and then various end tools for that robotics arms. And um, by us sort of productizing that, it makes it much more affordable and reduces the timelines for those commercial entities. So, so we're investing in that. Um, and then in the uh, in the satellite components type market, we have a range of R&D going on in terms of uh, continuing to advance our antennas business, which has always you know been a world leading business. And then uh, fair amount more invested on the pay- payload side, um, so that our both electronics offering and our payload offering is uh, is there. We make investments in. Um, operations that's slightly I guess different than R&D but but it is you know in the development side of our operations because as we've transitioned from building components for you know a few geosynchronous satellites in an order uh, with these large uh, LEO constellation orders such as the OneWeb uh, constellation where we're building all the antennas from it you know it takes you from a project building antennas for one or two satellites to in the in the one web example you're building antennas for you know up to 900 satellites so if you got a 1800 antenna order it dramatically changes your you know manufacturing requirements for putting in a lot more robotics automated manufacturing so that we can scale um, in our production volumes to these large volume uh, low earth orbit constellation orders that we're now starting to see so you mentioned something which caught my interest there because it's the first time I've actually heard of it and it might have been out there already. But uh, these robotic kits, um, is this something that you're just starting to, to, to turn into a product line now or um, uh, and, yes. and it is? So that's, a, that, 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 that's a new conversation just in the last few months okay. um, because we've noticed across a number of different potential customers um, that when you when you step back and look at it, really everyone's largely asking, maybe at the eighty percent level, for the same thing. They're you know they're all looking for, you know, a robotic solution with a certain amount of dexterity, with different classes of end tools, and then of course they need an Earth-based ground control station to operate that. So we've been we've been uh, exploring the on-orbit servicing market for a decade. We've had a number of R&D projects and some actual delivery projects um, into on-orbit servicing platforms. Um, so that has occurred. We have that operational and and and, and delivery experience. Um, but now 
now you see a shift whereby there's absolutely multiple entities out there in the in the international market that are looking for on-orbit servicing solutions, and um, and so it, it it's time for us to you know to uh, be able to have an offering that has a, a reduced non-recurrent engineering, reduced timeline to deliver uh, a more sort of sort of standard offering with a shorter timeline and a lower price to meet the new commercial market. Um, everybody obviously has their own particular spacecraft, so you you know you have to be able to you know customize and adjust a little bit for their their particular activity, but. You know, there's a lot of commonality across what people are asking for. Yeah, and so we're so so we're starting to adapt to that now. And there's no doubt that I've seen come across my desk uh, proposal after proposal for companies that are wanting to to set up uh, on orbit servicing. Uh, and yes. so it would make sense since. Um, I don't think uh, anybody could argue that uh, there's any company out there that uh, that has the same type of on-orbit uh, experience and, um, and knowledge base uh, to build on. Um, so with these kits, are, now, when you say we, do you mean Maxar as a whole? So is this, uh, you know, MDA working with, you know, SSL on this or is this, um, or is this going to be uh, an, an MDA? No, the, 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 yeah, the kits is an MDA thing. You know, that's the, that's just an MDA thing. Um, SSL would be one of the potential customers, you know, an internal customer to us within Maxar that we could potentially sell such a kit to. Right. But um, but no, that's a that's an MDA that's an MDA thing to leverage the, you know, to leverage the to your previous point. Um, what do we count up? You know, twenty seven years of you know on orbit system experience, some number like that. Um, so yeah, there's. There's certainly no other organization that would have that that background of experience, and uh, you know, so it's it, it looks like it's time to to make sure that um, you know offer that out to multiple entities in parallel, um, so that people have you know very highly fault tolerant, proven robotic solutions with control systems that have been proven to work in orbit for for decades um you know that's a a high reliable solution which is good but then now you've got to make it be available in the the timeline and the price point of a commercial project to put it on our servicing platform up and so we're uh we're working very hard to adapt to that um so that we can we can continue on the journey now mda um at the moment, you're finishing the RadarSat Constellation mission. Uh, in yep. terms of government projects, whether it's civil or uh, defense side, um, there are no satellite uh, projects uh, on the go that I'm aware of, or new right. ones new ones coming in the pipeline. Um, and of course, Maxire now includes SSL, which is one of the, the leaders at uh, building, uh, in particular, geoconsats. Um, yep. Does this mean that, you know, going forward that it's going to be pretty rare that we see in Canada uh, satellites being built uh, by MDA or are you just going to be focusing primarily on the the component side of it and the payloads? Um, I think, well, certainly our international business is on the component side, the payloads and the ground stations. Um, You know, we have ground stations now in over 20 countries Um, and then in both GEO and LEO, um, our Montreal factories and businesses, you know, sell antennas, electronic components, and payloads to, you know, all satellite manufacturers and Geo and Leo. So, you know, all of that for sure continues. Um, in Canada, in terms of building a satellite, I would agree that, you know, you 
It's largely based on having a Canadian program that requires Canadian content. Um, and then, you know, everybody tools up and, and builds a strong Canadian satellite like we're doing this year in Radar Sat Constellation mission with those three satellites going up. Um, I think that the only other thing other than Canada having a program would be that, um, you know, if you took the example of the, you know, the, the broad area surveillance satellites, like a, like a, the radar-based ones, like an RCM-type satellite, um, if other nations um, were interested in a, in a similar, uh, you know, type of capability to what Canada puts up, um, you know, that could additional programs to Canada. Um, you know, there would be the opportunity to do that from Canada. You could use the CCC for that to go government to government to be able to offer, you know, radar satellites to other nations. So there's, you know, you can see how that could happen to fill in some of the gaps between exports from Canada to fill in some of the gaps, especially in the radar business, um, you know, between Canadian programs. Um, so that's that would be something to work on, certainly. Have you uh, considered... Uh uh, building SAR satellites that are on a much smaller platform, uh, like Ice Eye out of Finland did. Um, we get involved in that certainly, especially from the um, the payload side. I, I, there would have been an announcement, uh, I think, a few weeks ago from MSCI there, which is a you know Canadian company that you know is creating a uh, a small radar-based satellite, and, uh, you know, they've come to us for the sort of radar payloads from that, from our Montreal business. So we are starting to get involved in those types of business discussions um, with people. Um, so that, that that can take us from, you know, our historical, you know, C-band or broad area surveillance radar to, to X-band or narrow narrow uh, surveillance radar or, or other bands. So, so, yeah, there are, you know, lots of conversations there that would get us uh, – in, involved with those businesses and then our our business of distributing and selling radar data you know which largely got established through the, the radar sat 2 phase of our life um, you know it could certainly get into different business relationships with um, you know um, these other companies that are that are creating radar based capability to help you know distribute and sell their radar data as well so um, we're certainly known in that market and we have active conversations in in all these different elements of that that radar surveillance space now with respect to the world view legion constellation um, yep. what's mda uh, and and the uh, the canadian companies providing for that um, so Digital Globe's always been a, a strong historical, even before the merger, customer of MDA. Um, we've uh, been a ground station provider to them for years for their headquarters and for their for their direct access customers around the world. So um, that certainly continues. Um, so we, we do sell ground stations to various various customers, like I mentioned earlier, internationally around the world. But we do a fair amount of that, you know, to Digital Globe or with Digital Globe um, to their customers. So that definitely continues. We're also do, we're also starting to do a fair bit more now that we're together, exploration of um, radar and optical, you know, collaboration. So, so using radar to detect something of interest and then through tipping and cueing, you know, bringing an optical sensor to focus in on that and take detailed uh, imagery of it. Um, having those two sensors now start to work together is uh, is starting to be demonstrated with uh, you know computer to computer communication you know doing that so that we can you know detect 
computer then cues the other type of sensor. It goes in and takes this detailed imagery, and you know the full story comes out. So that's a lot of advancement and development in that area now in our collaboration between MDA and Digital Globe. And has it been announced yet how many actual Worldview uh, Legion satellites are going to get built? Uh, nope. That's that's not a number that's uh, that's thrown around in public. I think every time the CEO talks, he says it's more than two. <laughs> um, but for commercial and competitive reasons, uh, the uh, the exact number is not discussed in public. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some a few uh, specific programs. Um, in terms of uh, OneWeb, you mentioned automation. Uh, and that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big order. <laughs> yeah. Um, how many, uh, antennas are actually producing on a weekly or monthly basis in the Montreal plant now? Oh, so right now, I think the phase of that project, uh, sorry, I won't know that exact number off the top of my head, but the, I know the phase of the project right now, we're, you know, we're getting past all the, all the sort of initial, uh, units that had to be produced. And then as we go through the spring, then we transition into regular production and there's a ramp. So the, the, the ramp up into, you know, the regular production rates will, that'll, that'll go through May into June. You know, as we come into the summer, then it'll get into the, the steady state production phase. But I, I don't have an hour off the top of my head. Okay. So um, you mentioned the Deep Space uh, Gateway uh, program before. Yeah. Um, it came as a shock to me and other people who, who cover this, but uh, NASA recently got a, a budget boost of over a billion dollars. Uh, yeah. I'll, let, I'll let that sink in there for Canadians who are going, really? And what about in Canada? Um, but uh, what do you think that means for uh, the Deep Space uh, Gateway uh, going forward? Well, it certainly seems in the last couple of weeks that we've crossed the line there. I, I think the part of the confusion you know, as I've come into the job and started to try to learn the details of what's been going on over the last quarter or two, um, that, um, you know, there was a bit of confusion about, you know, what is the U.S. going to do? What is their plan? Um, certainly in the last few weeks, there's been enough published there that, to your point, people are comfortable now, okay, this is going forward. Um, you know, there is going to be a deep space, deep space gateway project, and, uh, you know, it's, it's time to get on with it. Um, so the... Uh, that, that clarity, I think, helps focus everybody. Um, as I mentioned before, it's, you know, now going to be a conversation. You know, I get asked all the time if I know if, if Canada is going to support the Space Gateway and continue in the types of roles that they've been on, on the, you know, the history of shuttle and then the history of International Space Station. You know, is Canada going to be there? Um, you know, to do robotics and other things at Deep Space Gateway. Um, so it, it, it will be a pretty active conversation now, I think, you know, asking those questions and, and looking for, um, you know, an indication from Canada if they're going to, if there's, you know, an opportunity to step up or not. So uh, switching gears a little bit to the Radar Site Constellation mission, um, yep. the launch is uh, going to be this fall, it looks like. Um, yeah. Have you heard when a data policy might be announced and how important is that data policy to MDA's uh, future business in that area? Um, well, right now, um, so in terms of is there a data policy going to be announced, um, that, that's an area that's you know constantly under discussion between us and the government. Um, certainly the priority for the government, and rightly so, is to make sure that the government gets what it needs out of its investment in RCM and making sure that they have the, uh, you know, the data, the operations that they need to support government business. I think that, 
the uh, the use of radar now in our third generation of radar satellites in Canada um, is, you know, continues to be appreciated. More and more government departments um, are looking for access to that data, and uh, DND is also uh, clearly an international leader in that space. So their relationships with other militaries around the world, um, you know, is very important in that area. Um, so there's a very high government need for that that radar data. So that's that's all getting organized now as we approach launch um, this year. So that's all that's all very good. In terms of us and our, you know, more imagery-based business where we have access to imagery that we uh, package up and sell to customers and or conduct analytics on that data and provide useful information to customers, um, Radar2, RadarSat2 uh, certainly continues to be an active business for us. Um, if you look at where RadarSat2 is in its life, and we think it's got good legs still on it. Um, so there's still a number of years of solid radar set two um, operations to be able to deliver to the market. And as I mentioned earlier, we continue to have various conversations with um, you know businesses that are looking to provide various forms of radar data. And because we're a known you know radar data distributor, you know there's going to be a number of different business opportunities probably for us to be able to our our libraries and offerings to our our radar imagery customers um, so you know so that's that business will continue so I don't think it's a it's a it's a life and death thing um, it's always desirable to be able to get your get access to any uh, any new high quality forms of radar data we can get for the uh, services and imagery sales part of the business um, uh, but there's there's still like a, a lot of legs in radar set too, and there's a lot of legs in in other conversations that are happening around the world. So um, anything we can get at RCM was certainly in the mix. Um, but the government has to take care of itself first before it uh, it resolves those discussions with us. So uh, with the respect to the launch, uh, because Canadian launches of satellites don't happen very often, have you been given any indication by SpaceX? approximately when they're looking at doing the launch? Is it late fall or early fall? Um, right now, I would call it mid-fall. Mid-fall. The, time. the way these things work is you, um, in your in your launch contract, you know, you start with a big bracket or a big window, and then at certain milestones, that, that, that window gets narrowed and narrowed. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, it'll take until, I think, Midsummer, uh, in in midsummer, we'll call it the July time frame. I think, then you 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 cross a line and you actually peg your seven day window. In which case, then now you're real specific. So, um, so that's that's when that would get really narrow. So right now, it's still in a bit of a broad window, which would cover, you know, you know the sort of the whole mid chunk of the fall there, All and right. then it would get it would get much more specific in a in a, in a couple of months. I just need to make my my travel plans. Um, but I, I'm sure I'm not the only person that's interested in seeing that launch. Um, oh, right. no, for sure. Yeah, that, that's a, it's a big opportunity for Canada. It's a big deal. And, you know, I, I haven't seen a launch out of Vandenberg, so uh, that would be a first. Um, yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Maxar and, and MDA a bit. Um, next year, the, the domestic, domestication to the U.S., uh, right. for MDA is planned. So um, what does that really mean in terms of uh, how MDA does business and and the way forward? From 
an MDA perspective and a my job perspective, uh, it really doesn't have any effect on my life. Um, you know, I, I'm solely responsible for MDA, the business that Canada has always known and the business that is in Canada. Um, so I run that every day and, and I work hard to grow it and everything else. It contributes now, you know, it contributes to a larger corporation. That larger corporation used to be called McDonald's Atwater's. It's, now it's called uh, Maxar as the publicly traded stock price. Um, so, um, you know, and that, that head office is in Denver now as it is today. So when I go to see my boss, the CEO, Howard, I'm, I'm going to Denver to see him. So really in my life, nothing really changes um, in terms of, uh, you know, a whole bunch of administrative issues around finances and stock things. There's probably a number of adjustments there, but, um, you know, those wouldn't, those wouldn't be visible to me. That's what, that, that's at the level of, above me in the org chart. So I'm, I'm running a profit law center, a corporation called MDA in Canada. Um, we're uh, making money, we're paying our taxes, we're employing Canadians, we're exporting from Canada. Um, all of that stuff just continues business as usual. All right. Uh, now, one question I get asked every now and then is, uh, after this uh, domestication is complete, uh, will uh, Maxar uh, continue to be listed on the TSX or is it just going to be on the New York Stock Exchange? Yeah, so I haven't seen an answer on that, to be honest. Um, so right now we're trading on both, as you know. Um, I could easily see how, once it was all domesticated into the U.S., that potentially it could just switch to the New York Stock Exchange only. But um, I haven't seen a, an official, you know, announcement on that or schedule for that or anything like that yet. Yeah, there's a lot of companies that are dual listed or listed on multiple ex, uh, exchanges. All right, so I just have Correct. a couple questions. Um, uh, one of them's a fun one at the end, I think. Uh, but this one, uh, what are your thoughts on the lack of progress by the government in Canada and moving forward with some sort of action in the space sector and on a new space strategy? Um, I would say, you know, it's stressful for the businesses involved. Um, I'm not sure people understand the extent of the space business in Canada. It is pretty expensive. Um, Canada was, I think, the third country to get into space after the United States and Russia. Um, so we've been active in space for a long time. That's why MDA has a 50-year history, you know, being engaged in space. Um, then, uh, you know, a lot of businesses have spun out of all those space activities over the years. Um, certainly, I think. Canadians have gotten engaged in the, you know, we had a good surge there for a few decades of the development of our space program, our investment in the big international programs. Um, astronauts got all their, you know, their their uh, chances to uh, to go into orbit and, and have their space missions as a result of those commitments and investments. Um, certainly that engages the Canadian base and youth in STEM education and, and the opportunities of uh you know, growing up to be an astronaut or a scientist or what have you. So there's there's been a positive good run, that's for sure. And there's a lot of people engaged in space today. And then we've got this economy that's in orbit around the Earth every day that, uh, you know, provides the opportunities for Canadian companies to get involved in space-based communications and space-based surveillance. When you look at what's going on in other nations um, who don't have that history, you know, the investments are strong. You take a country like the UK, they've decided that by 2030, they're going to be a leader in space. Uh, they've got themselves organized, created a space agency, passed new legislation to allow themselves to have launch from their country. Um, 
they have, you know, there's hundreds of millions to low billions of pounds of investment available for for programs and projects and studies. And they've done it because they recognize that there's this enormous economy that's developing in orbit around the Earth every day, and they want to have a high-quality position or high-quality worker or industrial base in their country that's participating in that economy. And... Uh, and so off they go. Australia is now doing the same thing. They're following the exact same pattern. Both of those countries will publish uh, space, policies, space policies with specific areas of technology that they want to fund and have developed in their country within the next quarter. And so, it, and there's a number of other countries as well. So as everybody else is kind of joining the party, Canada has been there for a long time. Uh, and has an active space base, it, it, it's a little bit questionable right now about like, you know, are we really, are we staying in this game or not? And so that that is causing nervousness in the country for sure and and frustration um, in in the industrial base that's involved in it. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll stay as an active dialogue over, over the next several months in terms of, uh, um, especially as some of these key decisions on international programs have to be made and some bigger opportunities around, you know, space-based telecommunications communications are emerging in the market um, it's, it's it's a key time for for Canada to uh, to you know to hopefully stay with a sector that we've already established as international leaders and we're still at the stage in the space sector where uh, commercial companies can't do everything on their own we still do need some government involvement and investment in this area, correct? Oh, definitely, definitely. And if you, and 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 to be able to stay competitive with these other countries, you know, that are that are uh, making the decision that this is a big opportunity. You know, so if I go back to my UK example and just, you know, very public things that are on their websites, you know, they're using their, you know, their government funds to fund, you know, in some cases up to to 50% or even up to 75% of very new low maturity technologies that could turn into big space opportunities, um, you know, to be able to kickstart these things and get them going. And so when you're as an industrial base, when you're competing against companies in these other nations that are, you know, being getting the opportunity to participate in partnership with their government, both to get support to join international programs and to uh, co-invest in in leading edge solutions to go into space, um, then uh, then yeah, you you need it to mature the market, but then you need it to stay competitive with other people that have those relationships with their domestic governments. All right, I have one last question. Um, One of my favorite podcasts is Masters in Business by Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg. Uh, Towards the end of his shows, he gets into questions not related to the show topic, uh, but about the guests. Uh, One in particular I like, and so if you don't mind, starting this week with you, uh, what are some of your favorite books on on space or or, or in the defense area, uh, fiction or nonfiction, and, and what are you reading now? What am I reading right now? Well, I'll tell you that in the last quarter, I haven't read anything because <laughs> I've, co- I've come into a new job and I am going hard on making sure that I'm constantly on airplanes and running around and meeting everybody, customers, employees, and uh, new business partners alike within Maxar. So it's been a pretty constant movement. And when I'm on the plane, I'm not reading, I'm sleeping. That's just the honest truth. <laughs> um, 
I think, uh, you know, space books, I mean, my family, I was trying to think as you were talking space books, uh, certainly, certainly Chris Hadfield and his book, that was popular in my family and my, my children have had lots of opportunities to bump into Chris at youth leadership summits and things over the years that caused them to, to read his writings and the like. So that's a, a good, strong, uh, Canadian connection to space. Uh, uh, certainly that, that, that's, that sticks with me. Um, but I haven't read anything recently. I'm, I'm honest about that. Okay. Well, you know what? You're working hard. <laughs> That's it. Although, I, so you know, I, hey, I, I have a new goal. I got to start reading more books, so I got answers to these questions next time. <laughs> well, you know what? I, this is just me, but uh, I read like 15 minutes before I go to bed every night. Uh, yep. s- something that's got nothing to do with work. <laughs> or electronics, which is very important. There yep. you go. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Mike, for, for being my guest on the Space Cube podcast. Uh, I hope we'll get you back on the show in the future. Absolutely. Anytime. No problem. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback. And to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.